Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. If you want to follow along, it's on page 1012 of your pew Bible. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenus to the church of God that is in Corinth, to, the sanctify, to, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good evening, everybody. Before we get started with the sermon, first of all, I just want to say uh, probably what all of you feel as well, that our kids sing thing that we've been doing now for several weeks is wonderful. And uh, I appreciate Jason King very much for what you're doing. Uh, and I'm going to say this uh, to all of you men especially, which I have said before. It's nothing new, but some of you may not have heard it before. But I know there are a lot of men that uh, are willing to teach an adult Bible class or something or be involved with some aspect of ministry, but they're like, oh, no, no, I can't work with kids. And it is my, pos my position on the matter. I learned this in the process of growth over the years, that if you want to be very effective at teaching adults, you need to try your hand at learning to teach children. And, and it's not so much because you've got to figure out how to make everything so simple and easy, because children are much more capable than we often give them credit for. What you have to do is learn how to really show your love to those children. And I just want to say to you, Brother Jason, it is absolutely just emanating from you in every way visibly, and these kids know that you love them. And so what is happening here is, is we're, we're shaping these kids and raising these kids up to become consecrated servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the most important thing in the world. So I appreciate it very much. Thank you for what you're doing. And you parents, thank you for bringing your kids to church. Uh, honestly, it's one of the best things you could possibly do for them. And I'm excited about the future of this church because the only, there's only one thing that has been consistently happening in this church for a long time now, and that is that God keeps showing out and making things better. And the best is yet to come. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, I wanted to say all that, and now I did. So now the timer has started, and, and my preaching time has begun. Uh, we start a new series tonight, in fact, a new approach to Sunday nights that uh, I intend to do uh, for a while in the future called By the Book, and that means I'm going to be preaching straight through books of the Bible, and uh, as you can see on the screen, the letters to the Corinthians are the first two I intend to tackle, and that will take me more than the year of our Lord 2023, Lord willing the time comes, and I don't care how long it takes. 
And so the point is, we're going to preach through the text one section at a time and preach through these whole books of the Bible and just go through them and, and enjoy them. And, and some of the lessons will probably be deeper and more detailed than others, and that's okay too. Some of them will be real simple, and that's fine too. But that's what I want us to do is to make sure that we're spending a lot of time in the text. One of the things that Paul said to Timothy in his preaching ministry was that he was to give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And, of course, the whole Bible is the handbook of anyone who's, who's willing to be a preacher or teacher of the Word of God. But 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus are the preacher epistles for a reason. Letters to preachers to teach preachers how to be preachers. And so, if you're going to be a preacher the way that the Lord would have you to be a preacher, you need to read those books regularly and learn them and practice them. And so, that's what we're going to Not that we haven't been doing that before, but we're going to be doing it in an even more direct way starting uh, tonight. And so I hope that uh, this series is something that you're going to enjoy. One of the things that you'll notice if you're using the YouVersion Bible app, I'm taking a little bit of a different approach about that. Uh, it's going to be an approach that's going to follow the way that I'm going to do no the notes on the screen, which I'm in the process of learning how to do more stuff with the iPad that I'm using now, which is a growth and learning process. So some things are going to change and develop over time. Uh, but that means that this is, this is Bible study together from the pulpit. And so you're not going to get as detailed a set of notes in the app because I want you to make the notes that you think are important as we go through this text. All right, so there's the introduction to what we're doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, one of those words, and hey, listen, I, Mike, you did great, brother. You did great. Half the people in this congregation would struggle with that, and uh, don't ever worry about that. If you're ever reading Scripture in front of the church, it, it, listen, it, when you step up these steps, well, the adrenaline, if it hadn't already started kicking, is kicking at that point in time, okay? And so uh, I just appreciate all of our men who will stand up and lead, and when you get to a word, if you're in class or you're standing here and reading or whatever, and you're like, hmm, just mumble through it and keep going. <laughs> that's the right thing to do, and everybody knows what you're talking about and where you are, and we get the point, and that's great, and everybody's for you, not against. Okay, so an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our text for this evening for the next few minutes. And just a second, I'm going to talk about Paul. But first of all, I just want to very briefly just introduce us to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was a church just like Laverne Church of Christ in many ways, except for the ways that it was different, all right? But the ways that it was the same is that you have a group of people, a group of human beings who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them, and they have come to believe it for the truth that it is, and they have given themselves together to serve the Lord Jesus, to live all their lives in service to them. And at apostolic direction, they have been joined together into a local congregation, into a family of Christians that met in that city. Right? So in that sense, even though they lived 2,000 years ago, and this, church, this letter was written nearly 2,000 years ago in the ancient Greco-Roman world, and they didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles, and computers, and all the technology and stuff that we have, and the culture was different in many ways, yet human nature has never changed since the fall. There are people with the same concerns that you've got concerns about, putting food on the table, roof over your head, 
raising up your children, giving them a hope and a future. People that want to know what's right and they want to learn how to do it, how to live for Jesus in a way that spreads the goodness of God and helps people to, to learn the gospel and hopefully they'll be saved along with us. We want our children to grow up and stay loyal to Jesus. These are the things that they were concerned about just like we are. And so even though we will encounter as we go through these letters some situations in their culture that will be a little different from ours, if we'll get down into the nuts and bolts of those texts, we'll find out that they do speak to issues that we're dealing with right now in our contemporary world. And in fact, this letter was not just to them, though it was primarily to them, but by God, the Holy Spirit, seeing to it that it was included in the canon of Scripture, it's written to us all, man. And it's just as applicable to our world today as it was then. So just a couple of ideas then about Corinth. Corinth was a Roman city. It was in Greece, but it was officially a Roman city. So if you were a native of Corinth, you were a Roman citizen. It was a rich city because it was situated on the Isthmus of Greece. So I very carefully, slowly said that word. That's one of those hard ones to say, Isthmus of Greece, which is that little land bridge that separates the north and the south of the main body of Greece proper. And as a result, it was situated right in this narrow little land bridge between the Aegean and Ionian seas, which connect to the Mediterranean Sea. All kinds of commerce from ships was going on in this area. And it took a whole lot more time and energy and was a whole lot more dangerous to sail all the way around the bottom of, of Greece. And so ships would come into the Aegean from wherever it is that they came from, and they would dock in Corinth and oftentimes whole ships would be then rolled on logs across that isthmus into the Ionian Sea onto Italy into the heart of the Roman Empire. And so almost all the trade that came from the east, almost all of the business in the ancient world, all of the money that came from the east passed through Corinth all the way to Rome. So you want to know, were there folks in Corinth who had it easy, wealthy people? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, some wealthy people in Corinth, powerful folks in Corinth, influential people in Corinth. And there were also the folks that broke their backs rolling ships across that isthmus. Everything that we can relate to in our world today, they could relate to. We live in a, in a so-called post-Christian culture in Western civilization in which the rule of the day is immorality. The rule of, of today in Western civilization is that what is immoral is moral. What is wrong is right. I'm not making any kind of stretch of anything because if y'all are in tune with what's going on, you know that's true. And boy, I tell you what, the folks in Corinth with the temple of Aphrodite there that was famous for temple prostitution, Corinth was an immoral city, an immoral city. In fact, Corinth became a verb in the ancient world, when people would talk about someone who had been corrupted morally, oftentimes they would say, he has been Corinthianized. And that just goes to tell you about the nature of the world in which they lived. I think we're going to relate to what Paul had to say to the church at Corinth very, very well. All right, so the letter begins by Paul identifying himself as its author, all right? And so uh, Paul, we know by reading the greater context of Scripture, had two names. He, had, uh, he would have been known in that world, uh, particularly among the Romans or Latin speakers, as Solus Paulus. All right? He had his, his Jewish name, his Hebrew name, and his Roman surname. He was born a Roman citizen. And, you know, just like with so many of the people that God called and used throughout the Scriptures, there's just some interesting stuff 
that I think you will recognize as, as having a bearing on or at least reflecting the nature of Paul's call to ministry based upon those names. First of all, Saul or Shaul is Hebrew, and it means prayed for. The idea of the name Saul is that this is an answer to prayer. So when a Jewish uh, couple would have a baby boy named him Saul, what in essence they're saying is this little fellow is the answer to our prayers. We prayed for this boy. He is Saul, all right? And so this is, he's, this, is the, this is the kid we've been looking for. And in Paul's life before Christ encountered him, he was what the leaders of unbelieving Judaism, the Jews who had not recognized Jesus as their Messiah, he was what they would have called their answer to prayer because Paul was a Jewish bulldog whose whole purpose in life was to hunt down Christians, imprison them, and see to it that as many of them as he could possibly manage it were put to death. And the high priest loved him. The folks on the Sanhedrin loved him. Saul, he is an answer to our prayers with what he is doing to put down this false sect of, of Jesus followers. And that was the mindset that they had. But, and so when we, when we encounter him, he's known by his Jewish name. But after Acts chapter 9, when, when Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus, he no longer goes by the name Saul. He begins going by the name Paul, by his surname. And it means small or little one. And so for the rest of his life, he's known as the small guy, as the little guy. And in fact, when you read Paul's writings, you'll see that reflected over and over again. Doesn't he call himself the least of all the saints? Doesn't he call himself the, the last of all the apostles? And in 1 Corinthians 15, he says he's unworthy to be called an apostle. Yet he is what he is by the grace of God. And he calls himself the chief of sinners. He made himself of no account so that he could make the brethren among whom he was serving great, so that he could lift them up and build them up. He embodied to the, the best that I can imagine. I look up to Paul so much. He embodied the heart of Jesus' worldview, of the ethic that Jesus was demonstrating in his own life, that if you want to be great, the pathway to greatness is not through wealth, it is not through political power. If you want to be great, the pathway of achieving that is service. It is to become the slave of all. And the Apostle Paul very often started his letters by saying, Paulos doulos Christu, in the Greek, Paul, a slave of Christ. That's the man that we're reading, who interacted with the Holy Spirit in order to give us this wonderful letter that we're going to spend some time in. He says he was called by the will of God. And I first of all want to talk about that word called. Because when we think of that word called, I think sometimes it's one of those words that we can read in the Bible or we can hear being discussed and preaching or teaching in the church and maybe don't grasp the fullness of what that means because we're called. We're called. And Paul says so. But, but it means contacted, at least. Now, there are definitely instances we read about in Scripture where God contacted or initiated a calling of certain individuals in ways that are extremely unusual. Paul's was one such case. Paul was literally stopped in his tracks on the road to Damascus while he was traveling with letters, authority from the chief priests to find any Christians in Damascus and put them in chains. And Jesus stopped him dead in his tracks. Jesus called him. He said, I'm going to show you. He told uh, Ananias, who was going to baptize him, that he was going to show Paul how much he was going to have to suffer for Jesus' name's sake. 
And so he was called into the ministry in that sense. And in our Brotherhood and Churches of Christ, we've had a little bit of an aversion to that term. You know, I remember early in my ministry, I was having, this has been years ago, but I was having a conversation with a, a Christian woman who, who was the, the wife of a minister as well, and I, I was freshly in ministry at the time, and she said, oh, so you feel like you're called into the ministry. And I was very uncomfortable with that term because, just to be blunt, in the kind of environment I was raised in, that was a denominational term. <laughs> you know, you don't say you're called in the ministry. That's it's not what we say. Well, I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, all right, but I'm called into ministry. And you know what? So are you, okay? And so we don't have to have the kind of road to Damascus situation where God appears to us in a blinding light in order to contact us. God contacted me by the environment that he caused me to grow up in, giving me many, many people over the years who invested their knowledge of Jesus into me and let me know the responsibility that I had of becoming a follower of Jesus and spending my life in service to him. And so the person that stands in the pulpit from week to week to preach or serves as a youth minister, Hispanic minister, elder in the church, deacon, whatever, these are not the only folks that are called in the ministry. God called people like Paul in a special way in order to show us what it means to have the calling that we have. Brothers and sisters, just because you hadn't seen the blinding light on the road to Damascus does not mean that you are any less called into the service of Jesus Christ than was the Apostle Paul. You have been called through the gospel into 100% the same depth of ministry, the same focus on ministry, the same dedication, addiction, I might say, to ministry to which Paul was called. You may not have the same office as him, but you are called to the service of Christ just as much. This means you have been contracted by the will of Jesus to serve him as a legitimate representative of his government, of his kingdom, of his authority, and of his will. And that means, we've talked about this a little bit, Brother David and I, both of us have talked about it a little bit in the past couple of weeks, it means you have a vocation. It means you have a calling. you got a job to do in this life. And that's your purpose as a servant of Jesus Christ, all right? He says he's called by the will of God. And I just want to ask us to think about what that means and just not to just blaze through these introductory verses to a, a book like 1 Corinthians. And so i got to get to the meat here. It's meat from the start. <laughs> when, when he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, it's meat already. All right, he's already revealing deep doctrinal truths there that we need to analyze and understand, all right? And so is Paul authoritative is the question we want to ask. Well, it just depends on whether or not you believe his writings are legitimate truth, that Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Peter believed it. I believe it. The Bible teaches it. And so Paul is called by the will of God to be an apostle. And that means that Paul is, in fact, a legitimate representative of Jesus, and his writings do have authority in the church. He's called specifically. We each have our different specifics of calling. Some people are called to you know, being in vocational ministry, kind of in a full-time way. You, ministry becomes your job, every aspect of your life. Not everybody's called in that way. Some people are called to pursue the path of 
of eldership in the church. Some people are called to, to put together ministries that are of the church that go out into the world and, and spread the word and the love of Christ to the world. Some people are called to be encouragers. They, they, they are part of a local church and their ministry is to look around and love the people that are around them and to try to, to, to share with them the love and the goodness and the comfort and the joy that God has given. And that's a ministry. And I can't go through all of it tonight because there are as many different callings as there are as many different Christians. But Paul was called to the office of an apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle is an anglicized Greek word that means one sent out from. And the best translation into English today, other than the anglicized word, when I say anglicized word, it means it wasn't ever actually translated. It was just made, the word apostle was just made into an English word without it being translated. And so to get the idea of how it would be translated if, if it was literally translated in their Bible, it's a herald. You, you know, you can think of the medieval world where the king's got the guy that comes out with the trumpet and da, 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 listen to me, I got a message from the king. And then he rolls the scroll and reads the will of the king to the people of the town. That's a herald, right? It's a, an official messenger of the king. That's what one who holds the office of the apostle is called to do, to come representing King Jesus and to give officially sanctioned messages that come right from the king to the people that need to hear what the king has to say. That's what Paul is. And when we think about the organization of the church, basically the authority structure in the local church is what you see there in the little step pyramid format on the screen. Jesus is the head of the church. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28, verse 20. He is our Lord. He is our King. He is our ruler over all of us in every way. Underneath Jesus are those who held the office of the apostle. They were authorized by Jesus as his emissaries, as the heralds of his will, the communicators of his will, and so legitimate apostolic documents, because that's the way the office functions in the church today, and I'll say more about that in later lessons, Lord willing. But official apostolic documents are authoritative as the word that Jesus sent out through his messengers. And so then we have the local elderships of our local congregations. A local eldership does not have carte blanche to just decide how things are going to be in the local church in every way. There are lots of decisions that the Bible does not give us any kind of specific or direct uh, instruction about. And the elders are going to make decisions there. It seems best to their wisdom. But the elders are beholden to the authority of the apostles. No elder or eldership has the authority to reject the teaching of an apostle, period. And if an elder or eldership rejects the apostolic teaching, then that elder or eldership is rejected by the Lord and must be rejected by the faithful people of the Lord. There's nobody in the church that has authority that has not been given to them by Jesus through his apostolic heralds or messengers. And if we're going to continue to be legitimate members of the Lord's church, we must continue to strive to submit to that authority. And that's the way it works. And so here at Laverne, Jesus is Lord. The apostles are his representatives. We receive their word as, is, as if it is what it is, the word of the Lord. And our local eldership, these three good brothers recognize that. They support that. And they're doing their best to serve as shepherds of this congregation by the teaching of the apostles underneath the, the headship of Jesus Christ. All right? So he says to the church of God. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church. A lot of ink has been spilled about that. A lot of work has been done about the etymology of that word that is probably giving it or ascribing to it more specific meaning than it ever had. It just means assembly. 
It is the group of God's people. And so I want you to think how, not, not about the details of the wording there. I want you to think about the depth of meaning of that statement. The assembly of God's people to the assembly of God's people which is at Corinth, Paul writes. And that's just a deep concept. Because we could whatever we say about that applies to the Laverne Church of Christ as well. To the church of God that is at Laverne. So, well, we're not a church of God. We've got church of Christ on the sign. So what? Romans 16, 16, the churches of Christ salute you. 1 Corinthians 1, <laughs> 1 through 3, the church of God that is at Corinth. You can call the church whatever you want to call it in the Bible. As long as you're not calling it something that is anti-Christian or anti-biblical. Laverne is Laverne Church of Christ just as much as it's Laverne Christian Church, which is on the deed, I believe, by the way. And not only is that the case, but it is Laverne Church of God. You could call this Laverne Church of the Firstborn. You could just say the church that meets in the city of Laverne. You could say all kinds of things. The point is not what we put out on the sign, unless it's blasphemous or something. The point is who we actually are. Not only on the inside of the building, but when we go out to represent what Jesus is doing through this assembly into our daily lives. That's what makes a church legitimate or not. And so I want to just talk about some important facts about the epistles. I just cross that word out, not because it's a bad word, but because it's just an unnecessary word. You know, that's what I was originally taught. Epistle. What's an epistle? Who writes an epistle these days? It just means letter. That's all it means. So from now on the rest of the series, I'm just going to call it a letter. And I just put it up there so that you can see that because I don't think we need to put hurdles in the way of people's growth and make them have to learn words that they don't necessarily need to learn. But, well, now you've learned it. You know what an epistle is. It's a letter. And so this is the epistle of Paul to the church at Corinth or the letter of Paul to the church at Corinth. Some important facts about the letters. Number one, they are every single one of them occasional in nature. Every one of them occasional in nature. In nature. That's extremely important if we're going to interpret this letter correctly and apply its teaching to our world today the way that the Lord would have us to do that. What that means is that Paul was a human being, a person serving Jesus at a particular place or set of places in a particular period of time. And therefore, there were concerns of Christians in those places and in that particular period of time, in that culture, with all of its trappings and peculiarities and what have you. And the things that Paul wrote were specifically written to those people and specifically written about those times. And so if you come to the letter of Paul to the church at Corinth and you say, well, just Paul wrote this to 21st century America, you can hurt some stuff. You can break some things. You can break some people. You need to be careful about the fact that this letter was written to them first. And it is only through interpretation that we get the correct application to our world today. And failing to recognize the occasional nature of these letters and the essentiality that they be interpreted so that we can get the nuggets, the, the heart of the teaching, and apply that to the situations in our life. That's the only way that we're going to deal with this letter in a proper uh, way, the way the Lord intends for us to deal with it. And so this is also inspired. God doesn't change. Malachi chapter 2 says so. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, sons of Jacob, are not consumed. The reason why we have confidence in God is because he can never lie. Because if he says something is true, it's always true. If he says something is a condition of your salvation, it's a condition of your salvation. 
If he says certain people will be granted the reward of eternal life on Judgment Day, that's what's going to happen. If he says that there are some people who will be cast into outer darkness on Judgment Day, that's what's going to happen. God doesn't change because he is perfect. He has always known everything. He has all power. He sees every moment of existence within the realm of time. He invented time. He cannot be contained by time. Time flows from him. He is not in time. Time is in him. He knows it all. Always has. And therefore, he was and is capable of revealing himself in a particular period of time and addressing all of the concerns of that period of time, but doing it in a way that if students will deal with that text reverently, responsibly, and put in the work they need to think it through, to think about the times then, to think about now, that's called the hermeneutical arch, that's, that's getting the message from then, and making sure that you're applying it correctly to now, that you actually have a message that even though it was written to a group of people that lived nearly 2,000 years ago, you will find that it is the inspired Word of God, and it is universally authoritative and eternally applicable. The teachings of 1 Corinthians properly interpreted apply to the Laverne Church of Christ in the year of our Lord 2023 as much as they have ever applied to anybody anywhere. And that's the way that I'm going to approach it over the course of this series. The church of God that is in the kingdom of heaven has invaded or colonized this earth. You can call it an invasion if you want because the earth has been invaded. Because the devil had his playground here for an awful long time. And he subjected all of mankind to slavery because of the fear of death. Heaven sent its champion. Heaven sent its great warrior. The dragon slayer Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's defeated the dragon. He's killed him. He's limping his way to the eternal grave. Even as we speak today. Jesus invaded this fallen world and has been colonizing it for 2,000 years. This is a colony, brothers and sisters. This is a colony of heaven. And our vocation or our calling as servants of the king is to shine the light of the glory of the heavenly kingdom so that this world that is still under the darkness of the devil's deception can see the glory and beauty of God for all that it is and can understand the grace of God that has been communicated in the glorious gospel. It is our job to be here but to be not of here. It is our job to be citizens of the heavenly kingdom and pilgrims here. This is a colony. Now, make no mistake, it is a colony designed for conquest. In the end, the Lord will defeat every last one of his enemies up to and including death itself. And that's why as colonists of heaven in this wicked and fallen world, we're called to do battle in the name of our King Jesus. And in this series, eventually over the course of time, we'll find some passages in the Corinthian letters that speak directly to how we do that. And that's so important. Jesus said in John 17, verses 16 and 18, specifically that we as his people are not of this world, even though we're still in this world. And so we are to keep ourselves separate or holy, to keep ourselves separate from the evil one. And so Jesus lays the foundation of the, the idea of Christians as pilgrims in this world there in that passage. You know, we could also look at uh, the book of uh, Philemon, 
uh, chapter 3, or Philippians rather, 3, verse 20, that says that uh, our citizenship is in heaven from which we await our Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, now, does that mean I'm not an American citizen? No. I mean, read through the book of Acts. Paul was a Roman citizen. And when it served the kingdom of God, I tell you what, he could pull out his citizen card and say, I got rights. And he used them. And I am an American citizen. And, and, and however that can serve the kingdom of Jesus, I will gladly use my American citizenship to serve the kingdom of Jesus. But my true country is heaven. That's where my true government is. I'm a monarchist. I got a king, a literal king, a real king, a true king, and I'm a loyal servant to that king. And if you are a Christian, that's your country too. Remember, your citizenship in the countries of this world or lack thereof is just a tool or a condition. It in no way is the main thing or the major thing about your life. You need to be a citizen of the kingdom that is above and continue to live your life waiting for the reappearing of Christ. And so Peter tells us as strangers and sojourners to live in this world keeping ourselves unspotted from the sinful ways of this world. And so the way that Paul is going to write throughout these two letters is he's going to write in such a way to try to create a worldview. What Paul is doing throughout all of his letters, but we'll definitely be focusing on that as we go through, Lord willing, as we go through First and Second Corinthians, Paul is helping these Christians to learn how to see the world as it truly is, a world that is under the lordship of Christ, a world that is destined to see the reappearing of Christ, a world in which all those who sleep in the grave will one day hear his voice and will rise and be judged, a world that is leading to the new heavens and new earth, however it is you understand that term, when Jesus has conquered all of his enemies and he presents the kingdom before our God and Father so that he may be all and in all, a worldview that is built upon that reality, which is the reality and if we're living in that reality, it's got to affect the way that we think. It has got to inform the way that we speak. And it must control the things that we do. The way that we live our lives has got to reflect who we are as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so the church of Corinth is those sanctified in Christ. Remember, sanctified. To help you remember the meaning of the term sanctified. Because that's what it means. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. And, and those of us who are in Christ have been sanctified. That is, by the grace of God, we have been made holy. We have been made into saints. Saints are not some exalted class of certain Christians, the way that our friends in the Roman Catholic Church think that you go through this beatification process and they decide if you ever worked a miracle or anything like that. And eventually, maybe eventually, the College of Bishops or Cardinals will say, okay, we'll, we'll call that one a saint. That's not Bible. That's error, in fact. Because according to the teaching of Scripture, everybody who becomes a Christian is made into a saint, having been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and made 100% holy in the eyes of God. Do you think of yourself as a holy man, brothers? Do you think of yourself as a holy woman, sisters? Because if you are a Christian and are faithful to Jesus, you are, in fact, a holy man. You are, in fact, a holy woman. You're called to live life as a saint. And so, if we are saints, we need to live and act like it. That's a worldview issue. Who call upon the name. I don't have time to go into this as much as I would like to this evening. We're almost out of time tonight. But I do just want to ask you to recall Genesis chapter 4, verse 26. 
Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26 is after Cain has killed Abel. And we read about God blessing Adam and Eve with a third son, and his name is Seth. And in that context there in Genesis 4, we, re we read this phase. It more or less says, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And we see that idea then, picking up steam and being developed as uh, the narrative of the book of Genesis continues to unfold. We get to the very next chapter, chapter 5. We read about Enoch in, in verses 22 and 23, the best of that group of ancient people that called upon the name of the Lord. And, and Enoch did it so well that God took him. He didn't let him die. He didn't have to go through death. He, he lived a long life compared to what people live today, but nothing compared to, to, his, to the others of that period of time. God took him. He was not. So far as people could find evidence of in this world, God took him into heaven as a way to say, that's, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. Now, th this idea of calling upon the name of the Lord means that we are, in fact, walking within this worldview. It means we're walking within this way of life, this belief, the belief system. It means we're living our lives on the basis of trust in God. Yes, it's, it's religion, even though that has become a word that has fallen on hard times in our culture today. It is to be people who are genuinely religious, who genuinely have piety, who live our lives in a godly way. And remember, godliness and righteousness are to be made distinct from one another. Righteousness is doing right. Godliness is living in relationship with God. It is living a life granting the fact that God has a right to your time, that you actually care what God thinks. And on a daily basis, you are living in such a way as to reflect your belief in God and your trust in God. And so righteousness is not doing things that are morally bad and doing what God would have you to do. That's being righteous, doing right. Godly is living each day in relationship with God. That's what godliness is, and that's primarily what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, when Adam's third son was born, they had learned enough lessons about what sin can do that they started following God religiously. That's what it means. And all of God's faithful people have been walking in the footsteps of penitent Adam ever since. And that's what God is calling them to do. And so those who are call, calling upon the name are people that today trust in the Son of God. Everybody trusts in something. Whatever it is that you trust in this life, that's the name you're calling on. If you trust in the so-called almighty dollar, you're calling upon the name of the dollar. That's the way you're living your life. But if you're calling on the name of the Lord, you're living in trust in His power, and you're striving to do what He would have you to do. Finally, the greeting, grace and peace, charis arene, the Greek words for grace and peace. But grace here is the Greek greeting. It was the Greco-Roman greeting of the ancient world, charis, grace, gift, favor to you. The Hebrew greeting was, as it is today, shalom, peace. Paul uses both of these greetings throughout his letters, which is not simply a coincidence because there is a theological or a doctrinal or a soteriological meaning behind these words that he uses. It is a greeting that is representative of the age in which we live. 
an age in which, according to Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, through the fulfilling of the law that Jesus accomplished by keeping it perfectly, by dying on the cross to achieve the redemption that the law was always pointing people toward. In so doing, he broke down the middle wall of separation between the Jews and between the Gentiles, separating the nations in that way. And he made all of God's people, all of those who trust in the, the truth of the plan of God, into one people together. And so Paul represents this great theological truth about what it means to be living in the Christian age by taking those two greetings, the Jewish greeting, the Greek, which is not just specifically about Greek people. But when you read that word Greek in the New Testament, it just means everybody who wasn't a Jew. That's the way that word was used in the Roman Empire in that period of time. We, we're all one in Christ. So those who knew of God before Christ and remained faithful, became faithful to Christ as Jews. Those of us who are descended from heathen Gentiles, it's true, but who've seen the light, they've embraced the truth of that God of Israel who is now the God of spiritual Israel, of the whole church of our Lord. This greeting is a great one for us to use even today. Grace and peace to you in the name of God our Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I want you to recognize that grace means gift. It means favor. It means this relationship that we have with God is unmerited. You did not earn it, nor can you, nor will you ever. Salvation is a gift from God through Jesus because of what Jesus has done, not because of any value or worth that you have. And as such, it is a foundation of everything that we are and everything we think and say and do as followers of Jesus. And remember, peace. I want to summarize it this way. It is a, thing, it is a state of things necessary for the good life. If you do not have peace... You don't have life, at least not the way you want it. Isn't that right? True peace, inner peace, peace between people comes from first, finding peace with God through the blood of his son, Jesus, our Lord. And I want to close with this thought. Let this be more than words. If you want to begin to greet me, hey, Brother Josh, grace and peace to you in the name of God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll appreciate that. That'll be great. That'll be great. I'd be glad to greet you that way if you want to. Y'all know I'll greet you with a holy kiss. If, if it don't make you uncomfortable, <laughs> I have, all right? And, you know, when, when I see a brother like, whoa, I'm cool. I don't do it all the time. But occasionally, it's all right to kiss a brother on the cheek. I don't do it with you sisters just because it's the age we live in, you know, and I, I don't want you to have to fight my wife, all right? So, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? All right, use the greeting if you want. That's fine. The point is not to dogmatically teach us how we got to greet people. The point is to remind us the bases of the relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's something we don't just say. It's something that we live out. It's something that we become. It's something that we are. We must be the servants of God the envoys of his peace, recognizing that everything we've got in the good life that we're living because of Jesus is a result of his grace. It's his gift. And when we greet people in the grace of God and share this peace that we have in Jesus that passes all understanding, that's when we're being the kingdom the way that we're supposed to be. That's the thought I think Paul is trying to convey when he uses those words.
Are you at peace with God tonight? If not, accept the gospel of Jesus, name the name of Christ, obey the command to be baptized, your sins will be washed away, you'll be raised to walk in newness of life, added to the church, Acts 2.47, you will become a servant of Jesus, a part of this great family, this colony of heaven that we are graced to be a part of tonight, this evening, if you're a baptized believer that needs the prayers of the church. Front pews are open. Come, as together we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.